welcome back to another episode of The Silent Battle. I hope everyone is having a great week so far. I'm really excited for this segment today. Again, I'm your host, Erica Honeycutt, and today I will be interviewing Beth Gorman. Beth is from East Longmeadow, Massachusetts, and she has interstitial lung disease caused by hypersensitivity pneumatitis, which happens in some people after they breathe in certain substances in the environment, such as mold or the skin cells shed by animals with fur. She is also on the list for a double lung transplant. She was diagnosed with interstitial lung disease in 2018. Today, she is going to share her raw and candid story about her journey with interstitial lung disease and how it has led to her being on the list for double lung transplant. Also, she will give us some tips, if she has any, on what may help you all out there to live life more easily if you are battling the same or similar disease. Let's get started. Welcome, Beth. Thank you for being part of the Silent Battle podcast today. Hi. Um, thank you so much for having me, Erica, and for doing this. Oh, you're so welcome. Beth, can you again tell our listeners the name of your disease and share your story with us regarding when this disease showed up in your life? Sure. Um, the name of my disease is hypersensitivity pneumonitis, which falls under a larger category of chronic lung diseases called interstitial lung disease. Um, I actually was diagnosed with ILD in 2018. Um, Prior to that, in 2017, I was diagnosed with breast cancer, and throughout 2017, all the way through the beginning of 2018, I was treated with surgery, chemotherapy, and radiation. Hmm. But then summer of 2018, I noticed I was becoming really extremely short of breath, especially when I was moving around. In August of 2018, I was hospitalized after I had an episode where I just felt like there was an elephant on my chest, mm-hmm. I felt like whatever I did, I just couldn't get enough oxygen. Wow. And I had some inhalers because I had supposedly been diagnosed with some asthma. Mm-hmm. I didn't any relief from them, so I went to the local emergency room, and my oxygen saturation, you know, the amount of oxygen in, in your blood was very low, right. and they admitted me. And... Throughout that admission, they did a lung biopsy, and the results of the lung biopsy came back showing a lot of scarring in my lung, Mm. uh, the pulmonary fibrosis, and at that point, I sought out pulmonary care at a large hospital in Boston at Mass General, and that's where I was officially diagnosed with interstitial lung disease. What do you think may have caused the ILD to come on? Well, I have, there's two theories. One, um, well, when you have hypersensitivity pneumonitis, I think it's often difficult to pinpoint what exactly sets your lungs off. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, you have reacted to something, become, have become very inflamed. Right. And the inflammation is not controlled, prevent, I mean, causes the scarring. Mm-hmm. So, uh, for 29 years, I owned a pet bird, a parrot. Mm-hmm. ILD actually is very strongly associated with parrot ownership. Um, So I have a feeling that this has particularly probably have been brewing for quite so many years, and I just 
didn't really realize it. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and then when I underwent radiation and chemotherapy for my cancer, both of those treatment modalities can cause pulmonary fibrosis. Mm, yeah. And I think that the I may have some, had something brewing with my parrot exposure and the, possibly the chemo and the radiation just really set things off, you know, accelerated things. Right. So, or right after my radiation was when I really, really became very symptomatic. Hmm. Now that but, you, Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say the tough thing about hypersensitivity pneumonitis is sometimes you just don't know what, you know, what caused it or... Right. They can't target what exactly um, it is that the lungs um, uh, have overreacted to. So mm-hmm. that's hurting in itself. I may never know, but... And that's for a lot of autoimmune diseases. You know, they just come out of nowhere, and you just don't know what causes yeah. them. Yes. Um, now that you have uh, the diagnosis of interstitial lung disease, how do you manage your symptoms? Um, the biggest symptom I, I, I really need to uh, manage is um, uh, the oxygen therapy mm-hmm. and um, the shortness of breath. Um, the, um, oxygen therapy, I'm on oxygen 24-7, and when I'm at rest or not moving around too much, I need about four to five liters, mm-hmm. and when I'm around, I need close to eight. So, to manage my symptoms, I, I, I do require, you know, 24-7 oxygen, so there's that, and I, I really need to, um rest frequently uh, as part of my symptom management. I, I, I need to take um, frequent breaks and I also take some medication. Um, I'm on OFEB, which is an antifibrotic, and I also get uh, an infusion every six months called rituximab, mm-hmm. which helps suppress some of my immune system so that it will tame the inflammation down in, in my lungs. Right. Has it been hard for you to adjust to taking medications for um, ILD, I know the reason I asked, it was really, it was hard for me to adjust um, because I got my lung disease when I turned 26 and before that I never took any medicines or had any health issues. So, you know, taking, you know, going from no medicines to taking quite a few at that time, you know, that was hard for me to adjust to. So, I, you know, I don't know about you, but was it hard for you to adjust taking medicines for the interstitial lung disease? I think the, it was hard to adjust to the side effects of the medications. Yes. You know, right, and then I was on very few medications before I was diagnosed. Mm-hmm. Well, but when I was diagnosed, I re- received the standard treatment of high-dose prednisone and an immune suppressant, um, Celsept. Right, and yes. Fortunately, it did not respond to either one of those medications, and the prednisone itself was a big problem for me because of the side effects. I was on high-dose prednisone for over two years. Mm-hmm. And it did help some of the inflammation, but I gained a lot of weight. Yeah. And my heart rate was up, so they had to give me a medication to slow my heart rate down. My blood pressure was up, so I had to take a medication to help my blood pressure. And then I ended up with prednisone-induced diabetes, so I was needing to take insulin. So it's been very difficult to manage some of the medications. Oh, I'm sure. 
And I know that you mentioned to me that you are awaiting a double lung transplant, which is awesome. I'm so excited for you. Can you share with us the turning point in the ILD that led to being listed for a lung transplant? Sure. Um, I think the big turning point in in my decision, you know, mm-hmm. being listed and, and going for a transplant is just a the dependence on the oxygen 24-7 yes. at a pretty high flow rate. It really has impacted the quality of my life. Um, and that. also my, my ILD has progressed quite far and there's really no cure for ILD, unfortunately. So, and, and transplant isn't exactly a cure, but I'm, my hope is, and nothing's guaranteed that it, it, you know, if I were to have a successful transplant, that it could hopefully impact the quality of, you know, improve the quality of my life. That, Absolutely. That it took me quite a while in my journey to actually get listed because mm-hmm. I had a number of hurdles to overcome right. before I could be considered to be evaluated for transplant. Um, it can, this can vary. It's not set in stone, but most transplant centers won't consider you for transplant to even cancer-free for at least five years, mm. which I was last year, and this year makes six. Yay, Congratulations. Yay. And then I needed, because of all the weight I, I had gained, um, I needed to lose close to 100 pounds. Um, they wouldn't even talk to me unless I, I lost a substantial amount of weight. Yeah. Because um, you need to be at a certain body mass index to be able to be considered. So right. I, I did lose the weight, and I made it through the time period for being cancer-free. Good for you. progressed enough so that now I'm in the window, um, is what they call it, where my lungs are pretty sick, but I'm stable enough hopefully to be able to get through the surgery well i'm so proud of you and you know with everything that you've accomplished because as a you know as someone who has received a double lung transplant it is not easy to prepare for Um, like you said the bmi has to be a, a certain you have to be a certain bmi there's so many things that you have to to be able to um to do or to have in order to be qualified, you know, qualified for a transplant. And so um, I know that you worked hard because it's hard, um, you know, getting to that point. And so I am truly proud of you. And, you know, I'm wishing you a successful transplant. Thank you so much. And, you know, what challenges, um, well, I know that you've, you've, you've told me about the challenges that you face physically, but, um, what about the challenges that you faced mentally since being diagnosed with interstitial lung disease? Um, before I get to the mentally, physically, I'll just add one more challenge, and that's the f- extreme fatigue. Sure. Being chronically low on oxygen, that's, that's definitely a physical challenge because it can cause an awful lot of fatigue. And I haven't been able to do a lot of things that I'd like to do or even need to do. So that's probably the, one of the biggest challenges physically as well as the fatigue. Yes. Uh, so, you know, pacing myself and doing, allowing myself permission to, to rest and yes. down on myself if there's things that I can't do, let things go if, they, if I need to let them go and, and actually be able to give myself permission to also reach out for help if I need it. So, and, and mentally, of course, there's, there's been some points of frustration. Mm-hmm. Um, there's anxiety, um, yeah. of course, you know, facing a, a huge surgery and 
definitely been a roller coaster up and down, but yeah. I'll use an analogy of like waves in the ocean. The emotions come and go like waves ebbing and flowing, but they're not permanent. And if you can just ride them out and surf, right. they eventually soften. So some, so that some of the more difficult feelings and emotions become easier to sit with and tolerate. Mm-hmm. I meditate daily and practice mindfulness, and that's got me really far in my journey. Yes, good. It sounds like that you are, you know, and that's that. It's really important that you're able to keep your mental health intact. And it sounds like that you're doing a really great job with that because it is. It's an emotional roller coaster what you're going through right now. Um, what are some of the most significant changes that you have had to make? in your daily routine in order to adapt to having interstitial lung disease? Um, a number of significant changes. Um, I have to go really slow and pace myself, like I, I said before, just mm-hmm. hour takes a long time and I need to wear my oxygen in the shower. I usually use a shower chair, which helps. And, mm-hmm. and you know, I need, needed to be able to plan. You have to really plan when you're on oxygen because um, for when I drive my car, that there's enough oxygen in the car um, to last me for where I'm going. Um, right. It takes up planning. Luckily, my husband is wonderful about helping me with that and making sure there's enough oxygen in the car if I need to go somewhere by myself. And he definitely goes with me to appointments and he does things like grocery shop. He does a lot of the cooking. Um, and just, you know, managing the fatigue, pacing yourself and resting when you need to. Yeah, absolutely. Getting things done that you're able to do and treat your, treating yourself really gently and not getting down on yourself if there's things that you're too tired or just can't get to. Yeah, I agree. Um, and the next question I was going to ask, how has your family adjusted to you having ILD? Um meaning how is your support system, but it seems like that you have a wonderful husband who, um, you know, has been, who is there for you. So, um, you know, how is your support system? I feel very fortunate. I've got a lot of really good friends and my husband is just a sweetheart. He's a real huge support. Um, But definitely this has had the biggest impact Uh, on my Throughout my support system, the biggest impact, of course, has been on him because he's closest to me. Um, our lives have definitely changed. Yes. We were avid, avid outdoor people. We, we own kayaks. We loved to kayak. Did a lot of hiking and snowshoeing and physical things. And we just needed to kind of shift to adjust to do things that don't require a lot of physical exertion. Right. We have game days, game nights with our friends and play board games. And we have dinner with friends, things like that. But... My husband has been extremely helpful, and I think it's really scary for him, mm-hmm. and he as well. So I really watch out for him in a way to make sure that he's got the support that he needs to, um, because it's, it's very hard for him as well. He's he, you know, he's scared, and he, this is a, a a huge, scary, big deal going to a you know transplant surgery and. He's cooking it really well, but it's all. I think it's really important to remember our caregivers, our people that are close to us, also need some support as well because it, it, you know, it's hard for them to see us suffering. I think. Yeah, you're absolutely right because they're the ones. I mean, they're 
especially your spouse, they're right there beside you. And, you know, they might not be going through it physically, but definitely, you know, mentally, um, you know, they, they need support as well, like you said. So I'm glad you said that. Yeah, I think it's important. What do you think is most important for our listeners that are battling the same disease or similar disease to know? I think the most important thing is as much as it may feel like you're alone, you're not. There are people out there who have this disease and who understand. And I think the best thing to do is and know is be able to treat yourself with as much self-compassion as you can and just give yourself permission to experience everything that you feel everything that you feel is okay it's not good it's not bad it's it's all okay and it all belongs and, and you're not alone and i guess the other thing i would also say is that if you do have symptoms or if there are any changes in your baseline i would recommend not minimizing them um i think i minimized my symptoms for a long time attributing it to be, kind of being out of shape Mm-hmm. When I began to go to breath, I, I thought, you know, you know, been going through radiation, I've gained weight, of course, I'm just out of shape. Mm-hmm. It, by the time I was diagnosed in 2018, my scarring and fibrosis had progressed pretty far. Um, and this is a type of disease as well that can have exacerbations. So the sooner you can let your pulmonologist or your doctor know what's going on, the sooner they're able to intervene and, and get you through the exacerbation. So would also recommend having an open relationship with your pulmonologist or doctor and just to find support wherever you can and just most importantly just love yourself and treat yourself gently and with compassion and without any you know self-judgment absolutely um do you have anything else you want to add or share to today's segment the only thing i would add is don't give up if you have this disease or you know someone with ild you know that you and they are fighters. We're all warriors. Yes. My medical care team was not thinking for a while that I'd be I'd ever be eligible for a transplant or be eligible to be listed for a transplant. And I survived six years cancer-free, and I lost 100 pounds, and I did what I needed to do to get myself listed. So I guess what I want to add is don't give up. Keep fighting. You've got this. Yes. Uh, I... Yes, absolutely. Beth, again, I appreciate you so much for coming on here today with me and allowing me to interview you. It was so great talking to you and and connecting with you. And I know this interview, it just really helped and educated a lot of listeners out there. I am just, it's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And like I said, I I, I really am grateful for all all the work you do and what you're doing here and if one person can feel less alone it's it's worth the world so thank Thank you. you oh you're so welcome thank you so much and remember if you out there have any questions or comments please email me at the silent battle 2022 at gmail.com and always remember life is tough but so are you everyone have a great rest of the day thanks again beth Thank you, Erica.